Good morning, church. I have a respiratory virus that I'm not going to share with the rest of the team, and therefore I'm going to talk to you from my home. And I apologize for the voice. Those of you that listen to the Monday morning or the Wednesday classes, you're going to hear this voice because we record early, and what I thought was allergies turned out to be something else. So, not COVID, but it actually feels worse. It's a just a bad cold. That said, this is a perfect time to bring this up. We have a lot of ministers, male and female. We have a lot of wise people, whether they're ministers or not, that are a part of our Safe Harbor Church. This church has grown exponentially. It has taken off and covered the world. So now we need your help. We need your help to continue your giving. And if you can, increase it is always lovely. But that's not the main thing I need to ask for right now. And that is this. At our local team, we have one main expositor, and that's me. We have Misha for worship. We've got Dave for AV. We've got Gail and Kirsten who run a ton of things behind the scenes. But we're paper thin. And so if you have the ability, or even the halfway think you're brave enough to do it, send us videos. And if you're a teacher of the word, doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't really care if you're a preacher or a pastor or whether you just are able to read and study and you have a message, send us a 15 minute to 30 minute lesson. And that way we can bank them and have them in store for times like this. Because when the last minute hits and a virus hits your minister or any of these other positions, we have a real struggle getting this out to you. And we work very, very hard to get it out anyway. So uh, Patrick at rsafeharbor.com or info at rsafeharbor.com, get in touch with us. We'd love to have a storehouse so that no matter how long a crisis hits, we're able to still put out the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus in John chapter 2 has caused people to pull up in surprise and shock. And people have leapt upon this passage where Jesus makes a whip and enters the temple precincts and clears it out. And they've, they've leapt on it for their own purposes. I've seen more times on Facebook and Twitter than I can count somebody saying something like, well, what's the answer to what would Jesus do? Sometimes it's make a whip and go into church. That's what they get out of this, that sometimes God needs us to clean out his church, split churches, demand that churches follow whatever we have decided is the righteous path, uh, driving the unworthy out. And the reason we know they're unworthy is because they left. It's a weird circular reasoning thing. Others have used this passage to prove that Jesus isn't a pacifist, and they, they grab this one and a few other passages. But is that really, is that what's going on here? <clears throat> Before you try to prove anything with a passage, it might be important to figure out where and when and why this happened, to put it in its context. Because the when here will help us a lot with the why. Jesus has just done his first recorded miracle, that changing of the water to the wine in Cana of Galilee, one of the first Jesus stories we did in this series. So go back if you've forgotten about it, but here's the point. The point wasn't that God has the power to turn water to wine. That was the minor point of the story. The major point of the story was where he got the water. And he got the water 
from the big washing up jars that represented all the human rules about ceremony, sanctification, cleanliness, all those rules piled on. God took that bathwater and turned it into the joy of wine. He was rejecting all those hoops that religious people like to put up that say, you've got to jump through all of these or you won't be acceptable to God. What they really don't understand is what they're saying is, you have to jump through all these hoops to be acceptable to them. And they don't understand that being acceptable to God might be an entirely different matter than being acceptable to them. And so they put up the hoops and tell you to jump. Jesus didn't do that. He removed that. And right after that is this story. That's why you need to pay attention to the when, because it will help you with the why. In the verse directly before this story, I'm going to do this a lot, so just... The scripture said that the sign of changing, of of what Jesus did at Cana of Galilee was a sign of the glory of Christ. And that glory is that he makes God accessible. God is not far off. God is not one that you have to jump through innumerable hoops, 600 plus laws to get to. No, God is close. As Paul would say to the pagans on top of Mars Hill, He is not far from any of you that you would have to go seek him. Jesus is the one that shows us his glory by removing the distance between us and God and any impediments that get between us and God. And that's the point of this story. It's not about erasing God's righteousness. It's about erasing our false righteousness. And our real great tendency to, when we see a problem, make a rule. And if it's a weird problem, only happens once in a lifetime, make a rule for every day anyway. And God is just shaking his head saying, no, think about how hard you're making this for people. In Acts 15, when the elders met and there was a really serious issue going on, the elders replied, It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to make this harder than it has to be. When was the last time you heard church leaders say that? But Jesus is about to demonstrate that. So, God wants all the barriers removed so we can be like we used to be. Adam and Eve used to walk with with God in the garden every evening. Wouldn't that be brilliant? So what does Jesus do? He takes his apostles into gardens. He takes them in the Mount of Olives, another garden, an orchard. And then he even dies at a garden, Gethsemane. He brings us to the garden so we can walk once again with God. Well, prepare for Easter thinking about that. In John chapter 2 and verse 12, we see that Jesus is spending a few days with his mother and his brothers and his sisters and disciples, and Passover's coming, so it's time for Jesus to make his way to Jerusalem. And he makes a very long walk here, which is not given any, we don't get a whole lot of, it was a long walk and it was difficult, because the writers of this 
they lived in an age where every long walk was difficult. He took a walk that would have taken four to seven days, 78 miles, <clears throat> to go from where he was to Jerusalem. What he had just done with the water jars and the wine, he was about to do on a larger scale at the temple. And it's very important that we get that connection. Along the road to Jerusalem, that four to seven days, Jesus would have seen a large number of travelers. <coughs> These travelers are all headed the same direction he is. Many of them will be bringing a lamb or other sacrificial animal, protecting it at all times, because you could not arrive at Jerusalem with an animal that had been injured or soiled, damaged in any way along the trip, and then offer that as a sacrifice. So it had to be perfect and pristine. So these, these people are guarding their stuff. They're sharing their food with others. They're sharing their water with others. It was a long and arduous journey that they all took. They all understand. Jesus is watching. He sees it all. And then he gets to the temple. And these people that have walked so long to come and worship God can't. Not yet. Because humans people who are supposed to be the religious leaders have set up extra barriers between these people seeking God, walking toward God and the temple. There are market stalls. These market stalls are selling cattle, sheep, and doves. This, these are the sacrifices allowed by each of the different stratas economically. The poorest would offer birds, the middle class is going to be offering sheep, and then you're going to have cattle for those that are richer, uh, better off. You, the, all those rules are in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You can look those up. <coughs> so he saw those were there. And that, now that's a little understandable that people might need to buy because they might not have had an animal to bring with them or they weren't very confident that they could bring that animal and deliver it safely in pristine condition. But hold on to that thought. These people not only sold these things, but this was a limited area. A lot of people sold cattle, sheep, and doves, but they're not in the temple areas. The people in the temple areas are the ones the religious leaders brought there. There could have been bribery and graft, there could be family connections, there could be any of that going on here, but the, the whole point of this being, these are special layer people. And then to help you buy, over here are the currency tables. Two things should be in your, the front of your mind as you're reading this. One, these people are taking advantage of people who just want to worship God. They just want to obey Him. Now, capitalism is a good system, except when it goes wrong. And it can go wrong in various ways. Eliminating competition is one of them. If there's only one oil company or only one telephone company, that's a problem. Well, here, there's only one temple. And there's only one set of priests who set the prices and who accept or reject your sacrifices. And religious leaders, ministers, I include myself in that group, we are not immune from 
being evil people and to uh, gin up the price over here or to see a fault in your sacrifice that you don't even see saying, ah, that's not acceptable. You have to buy this. So undoubtedly some graft would have been going along. It's a religious monopoly here. And you know, if there's one God and I believe there is, then a religious monopoly should work well. The problem is we have people and the people will mess it up. Jesus does not lose his temper. That's important that you get this. He never loses his temper here. Every action is set and determined. Just as at the wedding in Cana, he measured those actions and chose his response very carefully. <coughs> he made a whip out of cords. Now this would have been like um, a Roman cat of nine tails only in that it had several ends to it. When I was a boy, the preachers made this into a fearsome thing that you would use to flog prisoners and draw blood. No, no. There's no indication at all that Jesus made that or would have needed that. Instead, these are long strands of cord that have knots along the way. So absolutely, they would whip and crack and they would sting. So what's he going to do with this? Well, he's going to remain in control is what he's going to do. There is no record of Jesus Christ striking any human being during this moment. None. That shocks some people. Go have a look. Instead, what does he do? He drives the, the cattle out of the temple area. He overturns the tables of the currency exchangers. And if you've ever had to exchange currency, you know that they always take a cut. He then turns to the people who have the doves and he says, get your birds and get them out of here. Notice, cattle are easy to round up, especially when you're in the middle of a crowded city. In Jerusalem, was generally crowded at any time, but during Passover would have been packed to the, oh, just to the walls. So it's easy to get your cattle. It's easy to get your sheep. But if somebody knocked over the table with the doves and the cages, you couldn't get your doves again. Jesus didn't even take or cause anybody to lose any of their property. Overturning the tables where the currency exchangers are, they can pick that stuff up. They can pick it up and they can get it out. So once again, he didn't strike things. He used the whip to make his way through the crowd and get attention. And he drove out the sheep, there's, or the, the cattle. There's no question about that. But he, de he didn't take people's property and he didn't hurt them. He just made sure they moved it out of the temple, out of the way, so that there was not a barrier between those who came to worship God and the house of God. Who is welcome? We asked that question years and years ago when I worked just north of Detroit in Rochester, Michigan. I and my very good friend, uh, who was um, our executive minister, uh, John Laster, we, on a Wednesday evening, I think it was, said, who is not welcome here? And we started showing slides of all different colors and shapes and all the permutations of the human form. And of course, 
everybody's thinking, well, everybody's welcome here. But then we started talking about, yes, but are they really? Are they only welcome to come here and then become like us? Or are they still welcome if they'll never become like us? What impediments are we putting between God and the people who need him, who want to see him, who want to know him? It's a serious question. And that's another thing to keep in mind here. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't want money to be the issue either. Here are people who just want to worship God. And when they come, there's a phalanx of people that says, you've got to exchange your money. And now you've got to use that money to buy our stuff because we have the ability to decide who's acceptable and who isn't. You know, removing these barriers and relocating all these shops outside the temple wall may not look like it would solve the problem because people still would need sacrifices, but it really did. Outside the walls, there's competition. There's bargaining. There's comparison shopping. You weren't forced to go through a selected group of merchants that were, who were in favor with the priest. Jesus removed that. Matthew, by the way, talks about Jesus clearing the temple. But you need to know this. The story told in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about Jesus clearing the temple is not done at the same time this story was done. Only John records the early cleansing of the temple, this one. The others have Jesus cleaning the temple on the other end of his ministry, the last week of his life, before the crucifixion, obviously. So there are people who say, well, John's got it in the wrong place. Well, no, if you look at them, they're two different stories. And Jesus handles things generally in the same way, but there are some real differences. <coughs> in Matthew, he does overturn the tables of those selling the doves, but also there's no whip. They've had a warning. Jesus already did a warning. He did this one in John chapter 2. He doesn't have to do it again. They've been warned. Now he comes through and he throws over the tables. Be aware that God gives warnings, but God doesn't have to give you warnings and he doesn't have to keep giving them to you. Pay attention. <coughs> Again, sorry, I would stop this if I could. <coughs> and I'd be with you, but you don't want this. Moving on. Um, notice something. If Jesus starts his ministry and ends his ministry by removing barriers between God and you and people like you and people not like you at all. If, if that's that important to Jesus, that mission must be important to us to remove the barriers so that you don't have to come up to our standard. You don't have to jump through our hoops. We're just going to tell you the Jesus story and ask you to live it out and pass it on the best you can. Simple, like taking a walk in the garden, like a walk in a park, as one might say. 
when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, what, what did that change? Well, it changed everything. Now, the Jewish people were indeed God's chosen people. And it wasn't like God now drops the Jews and grabs the Gentiles. Now, he says, everybody. The barriers are down. We don't have a, we don't have a fence anymore. Come on in. You no longer even had to go to Jerusalem to see God. Because God now would live in you. Jesus is our temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a temple without walls. Just like our safe harbor is a church without walls and where your money doesn't go to buy bricks and to you know, pay for that sort of stuff. No, this is a kingdom without walls, without borders, without human barriers demanding that you jump through their hoops. So forget about the barriers. Forget about the, when the doors swing open, you'd better swing in mentality. Believe in Christ. Be, be a part of Christ. Decide this is, what, this is what you need to be because this is what God wants you to be with him. Walking with him. By the way, at that first cleansing, the priest and the theologians challenged Jesus here in John chapter 2. Uh, they said, you, you'd better give us a, a, a sign or a miracle to prove you have the right to do this. And Jesus goes, here's your sign. I'll tear down this temple and I'll build it back in three days. Well, that was ridiculous to them because that temple had taken well over a generation to get to that stage and it was still be under repair. But he wasn't talking about the physical temple, was he? He was talking about his, his own life, his body. So when he was resurrected, now he's the temple. Come on in. Walk with Jesus. Don't worry about people that say, yeah, you can be acceptable to God, but let me show you the list of things. No. Instead, believe in Christ. Be baptized. Baptism's important. In Acts 2.38, it says it washes away our sins. It, rather, it's a for remission of sins. We are told that um, it also, in that day and time, was a sign of who you were following. That's why Paul could say, to whom were you, or for whom, or to what name were you baptized? Because if you were following a rabbi, you were baptized to that rabbi. Who are you following? Be baptized. It is a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's something which Jesus commanded, and it's not a barrier. It is like putting on Christ. And if you have trouble finding somebody, just write us or call us. We will either get to you or we'll get people to you. Because it's important. Believe. Be baptized. And this, live your life as a temple. Because now... People can come see Christ when they see you. Live as a temple. Live in our temple. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. May God bless us. May we never put out the barriers. And may we never stop because somebody else tried to put them out. Run to Jesus. He's ready.